Welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, Episode 42, Surviving the Holidays. How to honor your recovery this season. Well, uh, good evening, good day, good morning, good night, and see you later. No, no, wherever you are on the planet, uh, where I'm on the planet, which is in northern Louisiana, visiting uh, with my wife's mother, my mother-in-law, Monroe, actually, and it is December 2nd when we're recording this, but we just want to wish everybody a happy holiday, happy Hanukkah, happy Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's and all the other things. Anything I missed? Um, anyway, so uh, that. But we were we were like kind of wrapped up for the year with our podcast. I mean, okay, we, we have a few in advance, so we can keep releasing uh, come January. And then I went, uh-oh, we need a special holiday podcast because, believe it or not, sometimes holidays can be challenging, okay? And so when you're you're talking about recovery, it can be really challenging because a lot of, you know, all kinds of things can come up. And I remember when I lived in the Bay Area during the holidays, they literally had uh, AA meeting going 24-7 because I think it was the hardest time to relapse. And because there's a lot of things going on. Sometimes we'll find ourselves alone with really nobody, you know, no family or something like that. And we feel really alone and sad. And that, of course, that could that can be a trigger. Uh, And then the other thing, we actually do go home for the holidays where family shows up at our place. And I don't know about you guys, but we had some issues in my family, you know, one or two. And um, that can really be hard, you know, and you have the, you know, the proverbial um, uh, conversation with everybody at at Christmas dinner, right? And, uh, you know, Uncle, Uncle, Uncle uh, Donald has his Make America Great Again sweatshirt on. And, you know, uh, Aunt Susie is a liberal progressive environmentalist. And your father is a fundamentalist Christian. And your brother is a uh, atheistic communist. Anyway, so, uh, and one half of the family roots for LSU and the other for Alabama. So, you know, there can be all of these subdivisions. And it's like you're trying to walk that tightrope and just like, oh, my God, I can't believe that idiot just said that. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's just for a few days. And so, and then there's all that. And then of course, because, you know, I'm assuming that most of us or a lot of us that are participating in this are involved in our own inner work and our own integral practice at this point. So a lot of stuff comes up from the past, you know, and, and maybe dad, you know, it's not the person he was back then, but he did some harm and damage when you were a kid. I mean, we all have different versions of that and that stuff can really come up powerfully, can really be painful. So not, and, and at the same time, we're being marketed, you know, the, the Kodak Christmases, you know, just a beautiful children and the beautiful house and the beautiful Christmas screen, the beautiful wife and the beautiful husband and the beautiful dog and they open the presents and everything. And it's like, it's like, it's really not like that around here. So maybe we are programmed to having some expectations to make us spend more money to be happier if possible. So anyway, given all that, and, and I'll just, I'll end this little, my little opening here with one of my favorite Ken Wilber quotes. He goes, if you think you're enlightened, go home for the holidays. Okay? So I think that says enough. So I'll be quiet and let you guys uh, roll with this. 
John, I loved your introduction. That's great. I, I so admire you, John, your ability to bring uh, so many things together so uh, succinctly and also so flipping hilariously. It's just, yeah, I've missed you. It's great to connect yeah, with you again, you. John. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a thought, I had a number of thoughts as I was listening to you, but one of them is a, a memory. I remember, this is um, 30 years ago, I remember coming, I was teaching in a graduate school, and I remember coming back uh, in January after holidays, and I'd gone to spend holidays with my family. And uh, I remember the physical feeling I had when I was uh, on vacation, it was over the Christmas holidays, and I came back and I tried to describe it to my uh, classmates, is this feeling that if you could have observed me, you would have seen my physical body shrink like an inch or two each second of interaction until I was just a little tiny little pin and nub. That was really the the subjective experience. And it made me aware that that's a lot of what I've experienced, had experienced over the years with my family and uh, just how horrible that felt. And uh, I I remember the contrast. The reason I mentioned the school setting is that there I was and I felt seen. I felt like I could be, I could be my full self in certain environments, in this case, in my professional work. But to go into my family, it was both painful, but also very embarrassing to me. It's like if, if, if John and Doug were to walk in, they wouldn't see me anywhere because I'm this little tiny little water droplet or something. Um, that's the image that came to me as I was listening to you, just how powerful a hold um, lifelong interactions can continue to be. Um, I recently had an experience with uh, two of the same family members, and what I'm aware of is that it required me setting um, boundaries, and I was very uncomfortable with those boundaries because it meant limiting my time with them, but I'm a different uh, human being than I was 30 years ago, and I'm aware that that uh, some of those interactions, I really can't change them other than limit them, and so that's a Oh, that'll be a first foray, a first volley into our conversation is, first of all, the incredible uh, shrinkage, uh, if, if, if that image is helpful, that can happen uh, in the presence of family members with which there's so much water under the bridge. And then secondly, how to manage that. And in some cases, uh, it's not something that can be kind of intervened upon other than just setting limits or setting boundaries. So I'll put that out there for now. Yep. Uh, Bob, what you're saying there really resonates with me too. Um, an image that uh, really has stood out for me from the Harry Potter series comes from uh, the third chapter of this. In, in, in the beginning of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, they're uh, inviting someone over for a nice holiday dinner, and Harry Potter says, and I will be up in my room making no noise, pretending that I don't exist. And that was the way that I lived for so long too, the, the shrinkage that you're speaking about was very real for me, just so, so ashamed of who I was and everything I was that I could not relate to my family. I did everything I could to make myself as small as possible and not be seen. And being in a very different place in my life now and having accepted for the most part who I, who I am as a person these days, becoming more comfortable with that in my own home and in my own family is easier for me, but when I return and visit with people, in spite of forgivenesses that have happened or are continuing to happen, there is a trigger that returns me to that place of wanting to shrink, wanting to be small, and at the same time not feeling comfortable sharing some of the changes and positive developments because the memory of where I was remains so strongly, and I'm sure it does in their minds as well, that they have not seen this day-to-day 
progression of changes within me. And part of that could be me, uh, you know, putting, putting words in their, in the mouths of their minds as it were, but it, it doesn't diminish my discomfort in any way. And so the challenge then that I think all of us face, regardless of the situation is remaining mindful through that. I guess what I am planning to do when I go home this holiday season is to observe myself and my own reactions to that with as much presence and as accurate of an eye to what's going on in my body, in my heart, in my mind, as it happens, um, to observe those reactions from outside myself and not be so identified with them that I may deal with them more rationally. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Doug. And yeah, a couple of practical things I've learned is always have your own vehicle. Do not get stuck someplace out in the boonies with your family without, without an escape hatch. You know, and uh, another thing I, I specifically remember, we went to some place on the Oregon coast and my brother, older brother's total control freak, had this car and, oh, we don't need two cars and all this stuff. And it was just, it was horrible. I felt trapped and I, you know, I panicked uh, and it was, and, and I made a mess of that. I got really angry. Uh, and, I'm, and then later on I had to, when it was over at home, I, I called everybody and you know, apologized personally and they were like oh no no we did this I said no 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 i'm not here to elicit apology from you i need to apologize for my behavior and, uh, you know, i love you and i'm really sorry so that was it was a nice way to but it was kind of a disaster when it was happening and also oh it's a holiday i got so many things to do in my family i don't have time to practice bs in times of greater stress practice more not less okay so when I normally uh, during the holidays, you know, and there's not so much now because my dad died. My mom's in a, you know, old folks home and our extended care, I guess they call it. But anyway, she barely has any memory. So it's not like the, that was kind of the focus. So my whole things have shifted now. And now I'm with Pam's family here was to I just had to meditate more, you know. And so I don't care if I had to get up early or I just say, I got to go meditate and pray, folks. You know, and if you, you have a bunch of religious people, they go, oh, I'm just going to go pray. That's great. Or you, basically, I don't care. This is what I got to do. And, oh, it's weird, Uncle John. Uh, the young people seem to really respect it. And I have to get away and I have to do physical exercise, whether it's running on the beach or finding the gym or, you know, doing something, going to play tennis, whatever. I need that. I really need my practices firm and to make excuses about it. The other thing that I found out in, in you know, in coaching and counseling over the years that if you have a family and you're just getting over drinking, I mean, you're, you know, you're in recovery, early recovery from alcohol, and you've got a family that just drenches itself in alcohol during the whole thing. As soon as they show up, they give you a drink and everybody's drunk. And, you know, in the first 45 minutes, sometimes you just got to say, no, I can't go. I'm, and you can be honest. I'm trying to stop drinking. And, and the way we act, the way, you know, the family goes, it's not really a good place for me. Hopefully at some point I'll be able to, uh, you know, come back and enjoy your presence, you know, and they may get really mad, they may go, wow, or they may not even remember you weren't there, they're so drinking so much, but either way, you can't be, I mean, you have to, you have to uh, protect your, your sobriety and, and your recovery at this, at this jewel of, you know, the, with a pearl of great price, I think it says in, in, uh, it says in the, the Gospels, that's really, really precious, and if you have to just admit, hey, I can't be around you guys when you're drinking, because it makes me want to drink, and I have to stop, and I'm not judging you. I mean, maybe working for you, but it's not working for me anymore. And I, you know, hope you can accept that. And anyway, I love you. And, 
I sent, I mailed the, the Christmas gifts. And I had one client one time, he goes, no, it's going to be different this time. going to be different this time. He, he, he relapsed every Christmas. It was like, you know, it's like in the Titanic. Man, I got this great big ship. And I'm headed for that iceberg, and it's going to be different this time. <laughs> you know, so, so Vince, sometimes you just have to make those decisions also. And uh, any guys want to uh, comment or riff off of that? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, John. I appreciate all that you're saying. I, I was thinking earlier, and then you went right into it. We tend to do that here. There's a dance where we just kind of be thinking something else and Doug's talking about it or John's talking about it. Um, I've been aware this week, I've had a couple of uh, 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 new coaching uh, clients that I've had sessions with this week. And in both cases, uh, what's come clear is uh, looking at attachment, uh, excuse me, looking at addiction from an attachment perspective, which would be a lower left-hand quadrant perspective, looking at addiction in terms of relationships. And here we are talking about it. And I'm really aware of that shrinkage that I talked about before was oftentimes in years gone by associated with my joining in the family and drinking to both uh, try to salve the discomfort and almost always exacerbate the problem. And so that's, that's changed for me in terms of my not drinking and drugging in those situations. But then you're left with the, the longings for intimacy as well as the Memories oftentimes, like you were saying, Doug, they're in our bodies, you know, just these, these uh, memories of trauma or abandonment or whatever it is that we've experienced. And so I, it's really been on the front, uh, front burner for me this week. And it's interesting because it's in, it's in the month of December as we move towards the holidays that I'm working with individuals that that's really a primary concern for them is, is in both cases. And I, I really relate to this personally, and I've related this in the counseling is, um, uh, that for me, my uh, addictive behaviors are so historically so linked to uh, the most important connections. Um, uh, and sometimes it's the lack of connection in those important relationships. So just knowing that, that that's bound to stir up. It's, it's like kind of Ken Wilber's quote that you shared earlier, John, uh, uh, John that, that uh, uh, it's bound to stir up all of, all of the uh, demons, all of the skeletons in the closet and uh, and how to manage that. I liked very much what you suggested uh, as one element of it, Doug, in terms of just an awareness. I was actually practicing it as you were talking, of just breathing and just being aware of, of how that will be going for me this holiday season. John, I love your suggestions, and I practice them really awfully. <laughs> you and I have talked about this before. It's like Bob practiced more, and I'll come back from a from a family visit and go, oh, that's right, I meditate. Gosh, darn it, I forgot all about that. It's just crazy. And so I really want to take to heart, you've really been a herald of this over all the years, John, and it's like, dead gummit. I really think that what happens is I move into a regressed, you know, shrunken, shrunken head, shrunken state, and I forget, I forget my resources. And so it's almost like I need to tie strings around my finger to remind me of the truth of what you're saying, John. So anyway... Attach, uh, addiction as an Attachment Disorder is a book by Philip Flores, and there's a ton of literature out there that looks at addiction from a lower left-hand quadrant perspective. And I feel like when we talk about home for the holidays, we're really talking right into that quadrant. Mm-hmm. Bob, our uh, attachments to our family and our relationships with them are so crucial. And, you know, John, earlier in the introduction to this episode was talking about the wide variety of perspectives and places that people are coming from, different views, different beliefs, different ideas. And with 
our knowledge of integral theory in mind and, and levels and stages and all this, do we have an opportunity then to practice when we return to situations like that by remembering that everyone is at a different level and everyone is a deep of typology and to deepen our connections by seeing into their perspective and knowing that from where each person is, they are doing the best they can to be the, the best exemplar of their particular level of development, their, their type, their current state of mind, and use that as a chance to be present and to listen and to meet them where they are. And in doing so, uh, strengthen those relationships by getting outside of our own wishes, desires, egos, and, and connect, strengthen that connection in that way. May I ask you guys a question? It's related to right what you're saying, Doug, if I, if I can dive in here. One of my biggest triggers for stress is, is the feeling of non-mutuality in relationship. And um, I really want to ask both of you, really asking from a humble position here, is that in light of that, I know cognitively the truth of what you're saying, Doug, and I value what you're saying in terms of being uh, the bigger person. Really, I guess literally, <laughs> being the bigger person is like holding, holding a worldview that's inclusive of that uh, family member, let's say, that I'm speaking to. But the problem that arises for me is that non-reciprocity is triggering. And so even though you or I might give that to somebody who's operating at a level that's less developmentally complex to be politically incorrect, it's not going to be reciprocated. And what to do with that? I'd really like, I'd love your feedback, John and Doug, on how you deal with, with that situation. I'd like to be Mother Teresa. And the fact is, unfortunately, I get triggered when I'm put in that situation. It's a difficult one for me, honestly. Maybe you could be Papa Teresa. <laughs> that's a start. Uh, I don't know. The mother thing doesn't work too well with you, but uh, that's a, that's a really great great question. And one of the things that I think we have to do on the the journey of integral recovery is we have to make a new family. If our family's pretty whack, okay, so we have to have support. You know, really, man. When I go home, I'd really like to call you, Bob, and say, "Hey, man, you know, getting hard here, and or whatever." So you have you have contact that you can rely on, and you set it up. You know, I'm gonna go home. <laughs> I don't know. And you walk in the door and all of a sudden you feel all your neurosis. Oh, this is what it felt like to me as a kid. No wonder I got so fucked up, right? You know, so you start, all that stuff comes up. And it's a, it, if you do it with mindfulness and you work with it, it's a great time for growing too. Not necessarily, you know, a relapse danger trigger. It can be, oh my God, I'm starting to understand the dynamics as an adult, as a person who's learned a lot and has been practicing for years and I'm seeing it from a totally different perspective. So it makes me have compassion and understanding for myself and possibly for others. So, yeah, don't, yeah, don't uh, rely on people that you know in your heart of hearts aren't capable of doing that rep reciprocity. Um, I hope I said that right. Repre I got it. <laughs> that word. <laughs> yeah, mutuality. Yeah. Okay, let's stick with that. You don't, have to, you don't have to edit that. Everybody should know I'm kind of a, you know. At my moments. So, um, so I think that's really important that you, you kind of build that support in. And then you may have allies in your family, you know, that can actually relate to you. And, and, uh, and the other stuff is, you know, it's like I'm thinking about a significant male other in my family whose name I won't say in my relationship, whose relationship to me I won't say just not to point out the guilty. But I was realizing in, in the last couple of years that I've never had an extended conversation with this person. And I had a few that wasn't completely about him just telling his stories, you know, and I always wanted this guy to be 
my that, you know, or whatever that relationship was. And just incapable of it. And the more I, you know, I get angry or resentful, it's really, you know, even telling him about it sometimes, is that, is that even useful? Might be, but maybe not, you know, and you just have to make that judgment, uh, say, look, you know, and, 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 you know, it's like trying to, you know, tell a narcissist that they need to listen and take other people's perspective. And they go, what? They don't get it because you're just an object. You know, you're not an other, you're not a Martin Buber thou, you're just a thing, you know, that reflects either good or bad or bores them or excites them or whatever, but it's all about them. So that's, that's a hard thing to deal with. John, how do you deal with that? Do you mind if I ask, Doug? I just want to uh, just check in. How do you deal with that? That really puts uh, this nameless family member, uh, uh, certainly I have one nameless family member very similarly. And so there really isn't the possibility of that R word with him, mutuality. Uh, and so I'm curious to know how you deal with it. And Doug, if you have uh, interactions with that too, any resources in terms of managing that? Yeah, well, I'm the opposite of a stalker. I'm like a get the hell out of Dodger, you know? So if I was ever in a relationship and it was kind of obvious the woman didn't really, I'd say, hey, see you later. I was like, oh, dear, take me back. Like, later. You know, and I'd probably run off before I was supposed to. So I just I just, uh, just kind of separate, you know, and, and keep the communication very uh, uh, sparse. And I know that's my neurotic style. I just say, hey, later. And I've been using... Uh, your, your guys forgiveness, uh, the freedom of forgiveness thing to work on some of these issues. So, um, you know, I, you know, I think I've forgiven myself quite a bit. I think I've moved from forgiveness into acceptance. You know, I've realized I'm just a neurotic nutcase, crazy guy that I am that sometimes God can use, you know, for good things, which is probably about as good as going to get this time around. So that makes, you know, that I have peace in that. And then of course there's, there's been a few things where I've had to work on forgiving others in the last few years. And that's hard and it's a process and it just takes work and just be aware. And you can always go, you know, kick into, you know, talking to God and second person, Hey Lord, you know, I'm needing some support here. <laughs> I'm about to throw this person through the window, or whatever is coming up. So that's kind of, kind of how I do it. And I, um, you know, I keep praying and working and, 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 and doing it in my meditation. Like I said, your, your forgiveness meditation is really good, Bob, because I know, and it's not a, you're not just doing it from an academic, scholastic, you know, uh, level. I mean, this is this is your heart. This is the work that you, you've had to do yourself. Thanks. So I don't know if that's Thanks, a useful John. answer or not. Yeah, thank you, John. I appreciate that. Yeah. I uh, tend to be very much like you, John, in that uh, I, I just retreat and go off and do my own thing. And that that works for me. I am extremely introverted and very much like that. But also in the course of my addiction, in spite of my desire to be alone most of the time, one of the most defining elements of it was a profound loneliness and that desire for connection. So it very much resonates with me too, what you were both saying about the importance of building a community and having friends, being prepared when you can go in and do that. I feel incredibly fortunate now to have you know, the two of you in the integral recovery community that we're building the friendships that have occurred as a result of that. And I hope that people here will use our, our Facebook group and that community to connect with one another and really come check in when things are hard and know that we are there to support one another when other people may not get it. When we need a place for refuge, that we have that. Um, 
that profound loneliness can be a much larger issue too for people who we're talking about going home to visit our families for the holidays. But one of the travesties of addiction too is that people can lose all of that. People maybe who have been building a family for years and years and no longer have that. And what you do when the holidays come up and the memories of what the family you used to have say come up and how do you start to deal with that and deal with that profound loneliness. And I would, uh, love to hear your thoughts more on dealing with the opposite end of the spectrum, not how do we get away, but how do we continue to strengthen and build new connections and, and deal with the loneliness inside? Doug, I mean, that's just brilliant that you said that. Um, yeah, it's the loneliness. And you can be in a room full of your family and feel completely lonely at the same time, or you can be away from them. And a couple of years ago, my father just passed away. And it's been about two years now, I think. And I'm finally getting through the grieving process, you know, and here, you know, John Dupuis written books about grieving and, and PTSD and blah, 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 blah. And I practice every day and it just took a long time because I adored my dad. He's a great guy. And my mom is like, she's a ghost. I was talking to somebody at a conference who deals with aging parents and she has no memory. I go visit her 30 seconds later. She wouldn't know I was there. You know, she kind of recognized me still, but she's, your mom's a ghost. I'm like, oh God, he's nailed it. So it's anyway, so I was, and Pam went up to visit her, uh, her fam- sister's family in Seattle, and so I was left alone. So I went down to uh, Sedona, Arizona, with a good friend of mine and his wife. They're kind of my dog Lucy's godparents. And we went and stayed with his parents, you know. And I was like, wow, here I am, you know, what, 59 years old or 60 years old, whatever I was, and I'm spending Christmas with people that I've never spent Christmas with before. And it was really a beautiful time. These people were so sweet and so good. And I just felt immediately embraced in their love. And uh, um, we went to uh, midnight mass or evening mass, you know, Christmas Eve. as a Presbyterian church. And we sat up on the second row up on the balcony. And I was like aligned with the cross right in the middle of the, of the, the thing there. And the, and the choir was up against there. And I was just like, I'm not going to do the old Episcopalian. And I was like the hell with it i'm just gonna sing my heart because it's breaking and i just want to connect and i love christmas carols you know that's my favorite kind of religious music christmas carols are just so you know silent night i mean so many beautiful ones so i just sat up there and i just ripped out my mario lanza voice and you guys know me i have a pretty powerful voice and i just sing <laughs> and the preacher had this really beautiful she was just like holy moly and the choir is just like dear god who is that and nobody, you know, they didn't bring the net or, you know, the rope or anything. And uh, I was just singing and singing my heart. And uh, they were very kind when I left. It was just, you know, everybody was very sweet to me. But I just, and thinking about that later, I can't believe I did that. Because I was, a, I went to an Episcopal service with Pam's mom last Sunday. And I was like, I didn't feel that brokenhearted. I was just going to let it rip, you know. Plus, I didn't recognize any of the melodies. But, uh, yeah, so that was a way just of, of just totally participating and getting into it. And I found, uh, you know, I found uh, a haven in the storm of my heartbreak with, with uh, friends and, and their parents. And I still feel really connected with his folks, uh, you know. That's a beautiful story, John. I, I've heard you share it before, but I think it went into even more deeply today hearing that. This image of you singing like an opera singer up there on the top. I think that's great. Here's the thought that comes to me, and I, I'm curious to ask you, John, is that if, if, if at least for some of us, the, the uh, experiences of shrinking, that we become less than, 
what can I do to uh, go the opposite direction? What can I, what can I do to, to reverse that? And you up there booming away singing conjures that up for me. I, I know there have been, um, in fact, it just happened over the Thanksgiving holiday. I brought, uh, I brought a whole bunch of my hand drums to a, a, a family and friend get-together. And at the end of the evening, um, we, uh, we pulled them all out. And so everybody had a drum and shakers and so on. And I was in, uh, that was one of those experiences where I lost like an hour of time. It was just like, I was, and, and my experience, everyone did. We were just in something like that. It's our version of what you did, John, of just singing your heart out. And it's like, that's the antidote is recovering the self that just shrunk down to nothing, recovering it and letting it express itself. And there's as many ways to do that as there are people on the planet. But for you, it was singing. And for me, it was drumming. And uh, it's to remember to do that. I mean, it's like, let's, let me not let me not go gently into the night of forgetting Bob Weathers. Let's remember Bob right now. And we did it the other day, and it worked out famously. <laughs> Doug, what do you you know? What do you do at this point? What's your to deal with that kind of that profound loneliness you can feel during the holiday season, or with your family? I really love what the two of you all are saying. Um, for me, that that profound emotional charge, that that loneliness of it, I you know previously would just let that overcome me and sink into an abyss, which is no way to go, but channeling it into something creative, something artistic, something bigger than, than myself, as it were, to express that. And, and it's a form of connection, not necessarily with other people, but with really what it is all about, what it all means. And so the work that we've done through our meditative practice to strengthen, to build that relationship, we expressed in the moments like that through are singing through our drumming, you know, whether it's playing guitar for me or, or lately uh, doing more composition work on the keyboard and that type of thing. It's such a beautiful expression. That is what I have actually been doing uh, most recently. And I think that that can apply to, even if we don't have a particular creative practice per se that we're doing, how can we take that concept, that expression and get outside of ourselves in other ways? Is there somewhere that we can go really lean into volunteering, into giving back in another way, into participating with, with a group of people through giving our time and our energy and our spirit to something that is not our own emotional baggage, but, but turning that around to create something good, something true, something beautiful in the world that we can then lean in on and appreciate. Yeah, and, and um, Doug, you're, you're a father of a beautiful young daughter, you know, and what we're talking, it's like, you know, it's like when I was a kid, my parents always tried to make, you know, Christmas really special for us kids, and it was, you know, and so you can just, like, maybe that's it, maybe that's part of it as adults, if there's children around and stuff, we can just really work on, um, you know, trying to make it be a special memory, a special uh, time for them, I think that might be. You know, but not dealing with all our pain and roses. I mean, that's all there, right? But also, there's a younger generation. If, if there's children involved, and and I'm a grandfather, and so are you, uh, Bob, and just just pour that into, you know, our children and their children, and uh, that sounds like a pretty good thing. John, I, I get the. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Doug. Please. I was just going to say, John, I really wanted to thank you for bringing that up. I've uh, been having something of a rough time the past couple of weeks, and no matter how bad things get inside my head 
the surest way out of it is to lean into playing with my daughter and making things happier for her, joyful for her, reading with her, or singing Christmas carols with her. That's, that's a fantastic way to do it. And so wherever that opportunity presents itself, to lean into making something special for someone else is an incredible way to get out of your own muck and raise your spirits. So thank you, John, for that. I got home last night and there was this long box that had come in from someplace. I'd ordered it and uh, several weeks ago. You're going to love the synchronicity of this, John and Doug. And I opened it up and uh, there are these long circular tubes. They're plastic tubes and they're, they're uh, uh, tuned in a C major scale. <laughs> and I got them for my three-year-old grandson and I didn't recognize it until I was listening to you, John, is that what I did for Thanksgiving, bringing all of my little hand drums, these are all frame drums, and they fit inside one another, so they're these flat, circular drums, and I brought about eight of them to this uh, Thanksgiving party, is that I'm going back to Texas in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to be bringing these circular tubes. I got them as a gift for my grandson. <laughs> right, 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 right. But I'm going to try to follow what you're suggesting, Doug, which is I'm going to play with him and, and uh, play with my daughter and her husband. And I think my daughter's four-week-old uh, baby girl may be a little bit small for the, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a little tiny tube that she can tap, but just some way to enter into that flow state that is so powerfully evoked with children it's really trying to find that inside of ourselves. I think that's what got stamped out for me as a child. It got, and so I feel uh, historically, this is back to that earlier memory from 30 years ago. I feel like what, what gets lost is the spontaneous self that a child is. And so I just feel like this kind of cardboard bob, which just, just you know, why even bother showing up? And so what would it be like to recontact the spontaneous child within and without, in your case, Doug, you've got a baby girl, and and, uh, and for me, I've got a new baby granddaughter, but what would it be like to really uh, allow them to open me up into that same self inside of myself? Awesome. Awesome, you guys. And we're kind of getting there on time, but let, let's say last but not least, surviving New Year's. You know, there's this real cultural thing about New Year's. You just got to go get toasted, right? That's, that's how you bring in the New Year. And being an introvert, you know, I just haven't, I don't know, I don't remember the last time I went through a, a drunken New Year's celebration, you know. I don't like to watch the ball fall or, you know, in, in Times Square. I'm just an introvert. I, uh, the only time I like big crowds is when I'm playing in front of them. <laughs> you know, I know you guys share the musicians. There's just an energy that's incredible. And I get out of myself and I become one with the music and people. But, you know, I'm not so into that. But what I've been doing the last few years, I just make – uh, New Year's really reflexive time. You know, I, I go back and I meditate and I pray and I think about, you know, what did I do this year? What were my, you know, what happened last year when I was getting ready for New Year's and what was the theme that kind of came to me in meditation and prayer? And sometimes I throw the I Ching or do one of these oracle things and the synchronicities are really powerful. Kind of the guidance I get from it, whether, you know, we buy that or not, it just seems that the universe is wired toward meaning. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll do a long meditation, you know, a couple hours, two and a half hours, three hours, something really, really special to just kind of let go of the past year and begin this new cycle of life. And, and, you know, the prayer is like, okay, God, you know, I stumbled along and I tried to do my best and had some successes and fell on my face here. And, uh, 
you know, what can I do to do a better job this year? And what do you really want me to focus on? And, uh, you know, give me a, you know, give me any kind of guidance you want. If not, I'll just do whatever I think. And you know how that goes, Lord. So I kind of use that kind of a manipulation with God. Anyway, he handles. Anyway, so so I I, I uh, uh, yeah so I do that, and that that has become a real kind of a sacred space for me. New Year's, it's a really really good time to to go deep and just you know you know pour it out there and then shut up and just let the presence or let the wisdom voice or however that works for you be a part of that. And then it's. Uh, it's good, you know, because then we have to deal not only with our personal path and everything, but the world's a crazy place right now. And it seems to be getting crazier, you know. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, realizing, yeah, we're all just little individuals. Can What can we do to be responsible for our, you know, for our collective care as a human family? And what, you know, what we can actually do. And maybe there's more than you think. And what, you know, what do I need to do? That, you know, I'm pretty sure that I'm on my path, you know, and that I've found what I'm supposed to be doing in the world. But within that, there's all kinds of things, you know, uh, that can be done. It's like I got the basic big strategic view, but tactically, I need to know how to move from day to day, week to week, month to month, you know. And there's all these decisions that uh, require wisdom and guidance. So anyway, I think New Year's kind of reframed like that could be very useful. John, I, I really appreciate sort of the theme here of making space for it. Um, I'm thinking now about the idea of right use of will and how New Year's is a time when people make resolutions. And certainly I have done this a lot historically too. You know, you say, this is the year that I'm going to get in really good shape. This is the year that I'm going to, you know, write a book or X number of books or whatever the case may be. And, and there's nothing wrong with those things per se, but we're still trying to create a life based on our own will, which, which oftentimes are the things we want are, are given to us by society. And it's important to stop and ask yourself why these things are important and allow room for the guidance to see what's really important and what's a good next direction so that we can properly apply our will to doing the things that really matter, doing the things that will bring us to the next level and allow us to bring the world to the next level instead of mindlessly applying our energy, beating our head against the wall to accomplish goals that don't really inspire us and don't really touch us and don't really make any kind of difference in the grand scheme of things in terms of our own happiness or the happiness of others or the direction that we are all going. So it certainly requires that sort of strength, that will, that push to manage your day-to-day and to move forward and do the actions that are given to you. But we also need to get out of the way and make space for those things to reach us in the first place. And so I really love your, your approach of bringing those things both together, getting out of the way and then moving into it. And I, I think that that would be a great formal practice, a great formal process for all of us to engage in around that time. I like that. I, I, Colleen and I have a tradition. We've done this for eight years running. We uh, live near uh, the Pacific Ocean, and we go down to the beach every New Year's Day. Uh, she's the one that started me on this. She's done it for decades. And uh, we just walk along the ocean and walk quietly and just kind of take it in. It's a time. It's very much in the spirit of what you're saying, John. It's a time of meditation. Uh, I'm grateful to both of you for uh, and this community for for. Uh, really, every day we make resolutions. We're resolved to practice in this community. And John, you've really led the way 
in terms of um, emphasizing practice. And so the idea of making New Year's resolutions is kind of an oxymoron in this community. Not to say that we can't always uh, improve, but that that's so much a part of what we're doing. We don't wake up on New Year's Day and go, oh, I guess I'll resolve to meditate this year or, or work out or whatever like that. It's, it's so built in, and I'm really grateful for that. Uh, and so in that spirit, when Colleen and I, I go down to the beach, it's really not a time of, of uh, making these brand new resolutions. It, it, it seems to be absent of that. I'm going to share with you guys a, 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 a brief just two lines from Rumi, and then I'm going to sign off <laughs> for this. Rumi, Rumi says this, it's in the spirit of that uh, New Year's meditation, eight years running now with Colleen. He says, he says, give up to grace. It's very much in the spirit of what you were saying, Doug. Give up to grace. The ocean takes care of each wave till it reaches the shore. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for, for supporting and, and being part of this uh, growing journey of integral recovery community. And, uh, yeah, let's hang together or hang alone or something. Didn't some, one of the founding fathers say something like that right before the revolution? So, yeah, be kind to yourself. Be kind to um, the unkind. And, uh, yeah, let, let's make this, you know, this coming year deeper than uh, we've been before. And let's be more kind and more loving and more generous and uh, forgiving. So, Love you all. God bless. And happy holidays. <laughs> and happy New Year. Thanks, John. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> happy holidays to all of us. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.